He knew about that trap. But these numbers aren't prime. Then your number system failed, but he knew. Knew what? How would he know? You're the paranoid one. Think about it. His only function so far has been to kick us when we're down. So he has a bad attitude. You're saying that makes him a spy? Trust me on this. It's my job to read people like an x-ray. Hello, listening people. It's me, Ryan Stawinski here, one of your spitting and Polish hosts. Good evening, I am Bartek. Bartek? Oh, you're sounding oh so foreign today. What's going on? Yes, but only for one sentence. <laughs> never again. <laughs> You'll never hear Bartek be foreign again. No, yes, I am I am Count Bartek. Count Bartek. And if you're a foreign listener, which means you're a non-Australian Australian listener, you might you may be saying Bartek always sounds foreign because he has an Australian accent. And guess what? Shut the fuck up. We don't yeah. wanna, We don't want to hear your your wise words. We're we're not here for that. We're we're here to talk humans, about movies. Humans suck, unlike penguins. Hear that? He said penguins wrong. Isn't that funny? We Isn't all that point. Foreign? We all point and laugh at Bartek's silly ways. Of because being. you're racists. <laughs> No, because you just you, you just don't say it right. Even you know what everyone everyone knows that it's not pronounced that way, but we all told you it was just for laughs. Mm. We trapped you in a prism of your own making. Yeah, I said prism, uh, not prison. Prism. I you know what I it went over my head. I yeah. heard it, but I didn't register it. And I heard it, and I registered it. So that's why we are spitting Polish, likingly because we're always registering, and we're both Polish. <laughs> And we're talking about movies on this podcast, our podcast called Pictures Pow Wow, a show in which we do, in fact, talk about movies, but not only ones that are movies, but ones that come recommended. And we have a movie that was recommended by one of us. Who was it? It wasn't, was it me? Did I recommend this? Well, it was going to be like a three-way guess, but you just eliminated the listening people's choice, which we do every three weeks. Yeah, but we- In this three-week cycle. We, we, we just came from them. Yeah. They know that. Yeah. They know that what the Beast of War is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so- We came from is, that. Is it, is, it, is it my choice? Did I choose this? It would be if, we, if it was backwards day, but unfortunately <laughs> it's the first day of spooky month. Well, yeah, not, the hor- not, not the horror, October. The horror is that it comes a little early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is really backwards day <laughs> because we, we just reverse the weeks around. Next week I'll pick a non-spooky movie just to even it out so that the spooky month is status quo yet again. No, idiot. It's my choice this week. Oh, what did you choose? I chose, it's, uh, I had to pick my non-American pick this time. Ah, uh, yeah. So I picked one from North America called Cube. Cube from 1997, not the sequels or the remake that came out i think it's a, a, a i didn't japanese, hear about the remake i think there's a japanese remake in 2021 i at least Ooh. pressed on it and it has like a very low rating and it's just a bunch of well it's not the sequels it's not asian the, names so. <laughs> it's not the sequel it's not the remake and it's not the geometry no uh people if you have not seen cube before we recommend that you give it a watch in case you're worried about spoilers because we will get into it there are twists and turns and mysteries and reveals and dynamics explored in the film but if we have to give you the general pitch of it it's a bunch of strangers are trapped inside 
a giant cube that has several rooms in it, and they have to band together to help figure out what's going on and escape. And there's traps, and there's oh, so much stuff is and going mats. on. I know, and I know, mats. I said no geometry, but there's a lot of maths. There's a lot. There's some geometry happening. There's some maths happening. There's 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 Nazism happening. People, give it a watch and come back and listen to us talk about Cube Bartek. You recommended this, so why did you do that? <laughs> Very ac- accusatory. <laughs> well, Ryan, you see, it was my pick. I, I, I got so. to do the Quentin mode. I can see right through you like a fucking X-ray. And I'm, um, I'm, fuck, I already forgot his name. The last guy. To... The last guy. Yeah. <laughs> the last guy. Are you? Are you Renz? No, no, no. The the guy who's like the the nihilist. Oh, I thought you. The last guy was actually the mentally handicapped guy. He was the last. No, one I meant I meant the last guy to die. Oh, but then yeah. again, he technically didn't die. Yeah, well, you know, he, he got he, stabbed he, real good. He made a pun with his name at one point. Why am I forgetting it? Anyway, uh, the joke is that I'm your punching bag. I picked. <laughs> That's a great joke. <laughs> your enthusiasm to that joke worries me. Um, I picked Cube because of a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, and this is reference to the expanded universe of Spit and Polish, uh, on our spin off podcast called Chats a Television Podcast, uh, we together did a guest spot on an episode of Drive. Uh, no, not, no, no, not no, the, not, not the, the film, not, which we have covered. Not the movie drive. No, 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 no. The, the, Nath- better, the, the better Nathan, drive. The Nathan Fillion cancelled television series, Drive. Yes. What's the- that? You haven't heard of it? I'm so shocked. It was the first show to have live tweeting accompanied. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a joke. That's, that's right. Re- that's, that's true. That's real. That's real. <laughs> but anyway, um, listen to those episodes. They're very good. Because uh, I'm in them, and Ryan is in them, and the hosts are in them, which is really good. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy they showed up. Yeah, me too. Um, in in that in those episodes that we did, I talked a bit about this kind of death game genre that I'm really into, um, which uh, this film Cube falls under. Um, I heard about this film earlier this year. Um, the history is actually the exact same as last year with Starry Eyes. I was listening to uh, an old podcast called The Super Best Friend Cast, um, and they brought up at one point Cube. And this podcast, the guys in it are Canadian, um, and one of them is much younger than the others. He's like born 92, the rest of them born in like the early 80s. Mm. Um, and he mentioned at the end of one episode... Uh, something along the lines of like, oh, and by the way, guys, this week I'm going to watch Cube. And all the other guys are like, oh, man, you're going to watch Cube, like that that local oddity that we mm-hmm. have. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. what is this Cube film? And when they described it, it fell under this sort of like genre of, you know, having to escape from a crazy situation, mm-hmm. this kind of death game thing. And you know, it was a premise that was just right up my alley. Yeah, each one of the characters is a mystery that we're going to have to learn yeah. along the way. What kind of character tropes and archetypes mm-hmm. are we going to make with them? Yep. And-, and even going into like you know my my self appointed rule with this show, where I pick you know American, non American. It was, you know, oh, this is a horror film that isn't American, so I could you know pick that for the show. So it just all kind of lined up to this like perfect, you know, choice, easy choice. Mm. Um. And yeah, that's the reason why I picked Cube. I hadn't heard of it before listening to that podcast. Yeah, I have seen this before. I saw this maybe when I was about 12 or 13. 
It was at my local video rental store called, uh, well, it was not that local. Everybody here in Australia knew of Video Easy at mm-hmm. some point, or as we called it, Video Sleazy, because they had an adult section. Oh. And this was in the horror movie section. The poster was very alluring, and my parents knew of it because it was an iconic film in our universe. It was just one of those, oh, yeah, Cube? Oh, yeah, yeah, everyone loves Cube. And it's a very low-budget affair, first time round for a lot of people involved, or at least a very early film thing for a lot of these actors and writers and directing people. But it has a very, as you say, appealing, unique, striking premise and pitch to it, and it executes it very well. And I remember that being what I thought of it when I was younger. I thought it was very gripping, very exciting. It had some genuine... Uh, 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 good scares in it, but more so the sense of building tension was what I really liked about it. I did not remember all of the characters. I did not remember if we ever found out what the cube was or wasn't about. And so it was great to revisit that and relearn it as I was watching it and going, oh, yes, yes. And I remembered as I was going through, I'm like, oh, that's right. This person doesn't make it. And this one does. And so on and so forth. So, yeah, I had a very great experience revisiting this. I was uh, curious to see how it held up because this is a film from the late 90s. It's a horror film. It's a film where a lot of people are starting out. I was expecting it to be a little bit more sloppy than it really was. This was a very slick, well-put-together film considering what it is, the constraints that they have. This isn't the highest budget thing in the universe, but they keep the momentum of everything going and the pandemonium, and the characters are very uh, broad, but because they are, you can easily identify them and follow them throughout this this 90 minutes. And the uh, character that you were struggling to remember was named Worth, by the way. Yeah, that was it. And uh, The panel was like, oh, you know, you're worth your salt or something. Yeah, and there's a lot of, uh, for me, revisiting it, I was like, oh my god, this actor, they've gone on to do this, 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 and this. Like, Worth, he's in Stargate Atlantis. So I was like, oh, that's a guy from Stargate Atlantis? And he's in a bunch. And uh, the the doctor woman, she was recently in uh, Ready or Not, and she was fantastic in that movie. She plays the evil, insane old aunt, and she has this very quaffed hair, and she looks like she's from a a, a gothic horror film or whatever, but this is set in modern day, Mm -hmm. and they're just in a house running around, and she was fantastic in that, and I was so happy to see that a lot of these actors are still very actively working and doing projects. I'm like, oh, I've seen them in this, I've seen them in this, 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 because honestly... I said it at the end of the last episode. I was like, oh, and it has Dax in it from Deep Space Nine. It has Ezri Dax, who is who is a little mathematician here. And I was like, oh, this is before she did Deep Space Nine. This is like a year before she went into Deep Space Nine. And uh, that's all I remember. But the film opens up. We get this bold guy. I'm like, oh, I know that guy. He's in everything. And I look him up, and I'm like, oh, he's in everything. Like he's. That I looked at his filmography, and he, he was in a lot of things. All these things. Weirdly enough, I, I think of him as Death in Supernatural, which is not a show that I've watched all that much of, but every time I did, he would appear in it as Death. He's only in like five episodes, so I was like, real luck of the draw. I saw that he was in Man of Steel, and I said, good for you. 
good for you. Good for you. But uh, what was your overall experience with Cube? You recommended it. You had some high hopes for it. You're very familiar with the playground that this is in. Mm -hmm. So how was it? I came in with high hopes, high expectations, and I was very surprised that it met them. Mm. Like I was genuinely really, really happy with how this went. Because most of the things that I've experienced from this genre are through games, and even more so with manga. And this just felt almost exactly like one of those mangas that I've read, where mm. you mentioned the characters were broad, it was like the exact type of characters, the exact type, exact, exact type of dialogue, mm. um, even the deliveries. Like, I know, you know, it's a comic form, so there's no actual voices, but, like, I would imagine that they would be read in this kind of non-naturalistic way. Mm. Like, you know, what is your worth? It's like this grander thing that you don't <laughs> say in real life kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the tension of, you know, anyone can die. Um, a lot of, you know, little twists and conventions of the character development. Like, you know, they, we've got a character who's, like, the hero at the beginning because he's the one that takes control of everything. He's, he's thinking rationally. He's a cop. There's a character, the exact same character, who uh, takes a darker turn and goes from, like, the reliable one to, you know, the antagonist. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just all sorts of little beats that are being hit. And, you know, to some extent, I know the 90s isn't, you know, quite as old as, like, you know, long, long time ago or anything like that. But I did think, like, oh, maybe it's going to be a bit more of a simpler form there. But no, it, it hit all mm. the beats the way that I've seen them hit in more modern things. Right. Which makes me think, like, oh, maybe this was an inspiration for a lot of those. I told you at the end of the last episode when I knew this and you were surprised that I, you know, I was like, oh, you know this film? And oh, and it's great, even. I'm like, no, 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 no. Seriously, when people refer to these type of stories, mm. specifically, at least in film and television, it always goes back to Cube. Every review you will read of one of these type of movies made today will tie it back to Cube because it really is that. It is really one of those where they gave it to you. Like, this may have existed in other forms, like obviously exploitation movies and or your mangas and or your, you know, games and so on and so forth. But the way that it was presented here felt very fresh, unique, uh, very specific, and you as well, especially in the 90s, there was a lot of films made by up-and-comers that was really in, that were really impressive. Like, think about Quentin Tarantino, Kevin Smith, so on and so forth, where they gave you these little indie films, they're little startup films where they're not the highest budget, but they've got a really good idea, really some really good acting, perhaps, and or... Uh, an interesting premise or twist on the formula that you've seen. The 90s were filled with a bunch of those. And this is just another example of that, where they tell you what the movie is, and you go, oh, that could be interesting, and it proceeds to be that. It proceeds to be interesting, it proceeds to be engaging and thrilling and even fun to an extent, because... I don't know about you, I didn't necessarily find this as a spooky, chilling, or gross horror film. Like, a part oh, of me no. remembers the opening of it where the guy gets sliced into a million little pieces. And obviously then the guy who gets the acid in the face. And I was, so I was expecting in my recollection to this to be more of a gore fest than a psychological 
fest. Yeah, well, one of the big shocks is, like, you mentioned those two deaths. Those are, like, the only deaths by traps. Well, that's what I was going to raise to you as somebody who's more familiar with this type of uh, stuff. Even I have a minor familiarity. This feels a little bit off the beaten path. Like, I think a lot of these would have the characters be killed by the contraptions or by the evil people running it to instill the fear into the others. But this really takes the path of we are the ones that hurt each other rather than the elaborate nonsensical box that we're put into. Mm. We are put into the box and we inflict the pain or the power levels against each other. It isn't the box. Like, the box killed two people, sure, the cube killed two people, but at the end of it, it was we killed each other more so. I thought that was a rather interesting little piece of commentary because when you understand that this is a movie about people trapped in a cube and the cube rooms can kill you you do expect like every kill or most of the kills are going to be some new horrific trap that our characters couldn't have fathomed to happen to them and then they maybe have to work out how to escape that trap because somebody's died in that trap right yeah yeah. and and maybe usually in these kind of stories you know there'd be like a couple of deaths that weren't by the traps you know Mm -hmm. people killing each other but this film really kind of lent more towards that. Or even you get to a point where Quentin's grabbing people and throwing them into rooms and you expect, oh, well, one of the times he throws them in, it will activate a trap, but it never really does. No, does yeah, they, they, they that never happens. There's also the fake out where the doctor lady, I think Connolly, I think her name was, being able mm-hmm, to see, mm-hmm. she like seems to be choking, like, oh, Helen. it's a gas. Helen. Well, that's her first name, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, she seems to be choking, like, oh, it's a gas, but no, she just swallowed the button that she's been sucking on to get saliva. So. Yeah, 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 that was funny. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, I looked at this last night, and I was really happy with how they managed to keep the same set, because it's just the one set with just different lights <laughs> for yeah. each place, and uh, how they managed to keep that one set interesting to look at or or you weren't bored of it being this one thing because of the construction of the story you are bought into the world where you want them just to open up the next hatch and go into the next room and see what fucked up thing is awaiting them or if they're going to get into a safe place and yeah, I, I I I found that the use of uh, pacing really helped this. The, again, this is a great example of a film that doesn't need to be more than 90 minutes. This is a quick, easy breezy film where you don't need it to be any the longer. Length, the length was perfect, yeah. <laughs> and it ends just when you need it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those endings where you go, yep, that's the ending. Like, that is... When you watch a show or film, there's those ones where it's like, and then they go to the credits. And you're like, really? Okay. Like, and you go, oh, I guess so. This is one of those where it goes to the credits and you go, yep, that's it. That's it. That's the ending. You got it. You nailed it. And I'm happy. And then you're out. No, we needed 10 more minutes of Kazan just looking around, like, monologuing about things he notices. Uh, no, him pissing. <laughs> and pissing, <laughs> on, pissing. On things that are red. <laughs> I do appreciate that he was the only person that needed to piss. Like, no <laughs> point did anyone need to piss or shit in this. There was, there was one, I think, throwaway line that mentioned that it had been, like, a day or two, so maybe mm. it happened off screen. And again, how can they track time? An hour is what I say an hour is. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I know that like 12 hours had passed because he had a five o'clock shadow or something around that tw- nine or 12 hours. <laughs> That's how he determined it. Mm. Uh, so tell me more about what you thought about this. What were, what were you thinking as it started to unfurl? Well, you mentioned before that this wasn't really, you know, the type of horror film where it's like, you know, a gore fest or you're like, you know, feeling really terrored because you're like paying attention waiting for the next things to happen. Waiting for the kills. Waiting for the kills. But there was one scene where I was just, like, completely enamoured and, Mm. you know, just like, oh, my God. Mm. Um, Do you know which scene that is? Oh, I I, I have a couple of guesses. Which one is it? Is it the room of sound? Yep, it's exactly that scene. The room where it's like, oh, any sound except the sounds related to opening and closing the doors will trigger just spikes everywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I, I usually watch these films, uh, you know, lying in bed so I can watch it and under blankets. This is when I was like holding the blanket close, like, oh my god, do not make a sound, mm. Kazan, you do not make a sound because I was almost kind of on Quinton's side in that mm. scene. It's like this guy's gonna make a noise and we are going to die. I just know it. <laughs> and when it, they got through that, I'm like, well, no, you have to keep him now because you, he got through that, you'll get through anything. Right? That scene was so tense. Even when they were, like, whispering and you could barely hear them, it's like, oh, don't even risk it, guys. When Quint, um, when uh, Kazan's pants got stuck on the lever on mm. the floor and he's slowly twisting it, and it's like, oh, no. Yeah, that was reminding me of one of the mangas I've read. <laughs> Where a thing happens similar to that. Yeah, that was a suspenseful sequence. I thought that was uh, really well done. I did enjoy, when it comes to those get-you-on-the-edge-of-your-seat suspense scenes, when they jam the door on Quentin's throat and it's like, quickly, keep, keep, figure the maths out and just keep going so we can get rid of him from us. <laughs> that was one of those moments where like, oh, Jesus, because... You were so in the shoes of Quinton at that moment, you didn't realize, even though it makes sense, that they had planned to turn against him already. Like, they're like, we have to. He's already killed somebody. Mm. Um, it wasn't one of those reveals that was necessarily a shock, but it was a surprise. We go, oh, oh, oh my God. Because you are led to believe, oh, he's stuck in a trap. The door's closed on him. And then, nope, they've closed it on his throat. And they're like, quickly, let's get away from him. He's a monster. <laughs> And he is. He's a monster. He's a absolute little freak. Little freak. He's a big guy. He's a big guy. He's, he's a big guy. He's a big um, guy for all of them, and that's not a good thing. He's bigger than everybody in the film. Mm. There's no one bigger than him. So, Kazan might be the same height, but certainly he's not, not the same bigger. Yeah. He's not bigger. Um, uh, okay, let's rattle through. We begin the movie, and we have our classic. This is horror movie 101 staple. The cold open kill that lets us know as an audience what we should expect. Yes, so this is our main character. Let's see, let's learn about him. Oh, well, I, I of course, knew he would not be our main <laughs> character, but you, you have that a lot in your movies to set up the stakes, to set up... The, it's the Jaws, for instance. You know, you have the famous scene in Jaws with the music and the topless lady goes swimming in the ocean and she gets attacked by the shark and that's the cold open. Bam, yeah. now you know... What we're heading against, and yeah. so this I is. I haven't like, seen Jaws, but I knew that. Yeah. You knew that, and if you've seen a movie before, or especially of a horror variety, you you often know, oh, Michael Myers killed this person. The opening of the thing and that lets you know, oh my god, the classic decoy protagonist. Yes, yes, the meat to get consumed at the beginning. <laughs> well, there is meat, yes. Yeah, and uh, we have the this bold guy, and he's 
examining the cube. He's he he wakes up. He's clear that he doesn't know what it is. We as the audience get told a lot of information with no dialogue. Yeah. The outfit that he's wearing, the name on him, he's this bold, weird guy. He has no clue where he is. He's looking at the cube, getting all this visual information, the, the, the different doors that are on the walls, even on the floor and the roof. There we can see that there's little things that you can put your hands and feet on. So, oh, you can climb on these things, the, the bright white lighting, and then the next room is a different lighting. So... We get this feeling of, okay, they're laying it out for us, and then he gets killed. He gets sliced into a million little pieces, mm. and he falls apart, and then, bam, that's our, that's our opening. That's who, that's this film. And I thought that was very effective. Uh, there's a new wave of horror movies that we've got that they call... <coughs> elevated horror which i do not like because it sounds like horror has never been elevated enough but you get a lot of the artsy movies like midsommar or hereditary or the vivich or the lighthouse where they're like really artsy horror films and a lot of them i think that opening guy was in the vivich from yes the yes he was yeah. yes he was he's I one was of those a, i remember guys. reading in the filmography yeah. and i'm not saying any of these films don't do this but a lot of these type of films a lot of modern horror of this variety don't do that anymore the cold open kill thrill to let you know what we're getting up against not always they give you little hints of things of course but in a different fashion so when i was looking at this i was taken back to an era of ho- an era of horror that i'm very much accustomed to the the opening as a fan of x-files say a lot of x-files episodes would open up with a cold open kill to let you know oh no it's aliens this week oh no it's the slime monster and so on and so forth like the the sugar guy from men on black yes no that's actually a great example Mm. that that lets you know real quick who what we're up against and after that you get more more (laughs) that's vincent d'onofrio did you know that no i didn't it's been a long time since i've seen that's he should have won an oscar for that (laughs) and i like that this is now a men in black review i like that he's decomposing as the movie goes on like his skin is getting because he's wearing a guy's skin and it's just decomposing as he goes throughout the movie so the more you watch it that's why he gets grosser looking As it goes along. Man, i got to rewatch it. it. We'll do it next week for your pick. Uh, more. <laughs> more. David Cross is in that film too. More. He's the one that he slimes and puts on the roof. I'm pretty sure. But um, I'm pretty sure that's David Cross. But uh, yeah, that's our cold open sting. He really sets stuff up. How did you feel about that? That beginning of this? Because you knew what type of movie you were getting in for when you pick this in a way but that really lets you know everything that's going to proceed forward in the film yeah exactly what you said it was masterfully done um i guess before i'd ever watched the film which is basically my entire life before this morning um when i'd heard of cube the image in my head was that the cube would be like much smaller and maybe claustrophobic and maybe like the it'll get smaller and like crush you so it was kind of a bit more I guess when you look at the poster, it's very dark. Mm. But in this film, the lighting is quite bright. You can see everything. So I was imagining something a bit more, you know, visually dark like that and like claustrophobic. So that opening scene where he's in a white cube, it's very spacious and it's got a very simple design. And you see in the next room that it's the same design, but just a different color. Mm. That kind of 
you know, pun not intended, except now it is because I'm thinking about it, opened up the film a bit more. Um, I can imagine many people also expect that the cube is just that one cube, not that it's a big cube filled with many little cubes. I knew knew in some fashion that it would be a plural on the cube. I think maybe that was mentioned in the podcast. Um, But I didn't know exactly what it meant. Like, I thought maybe, oh, maybe everyone's in a different cube and you, like, cut between them and sometimes they meet up and they're in the same cube. But, no, it's a group going through many, many, many cubes. Mm. Um, And, again, going back to what you said, that opening scene establishes pretty much all the information you... Well, not all the information, you learn more, but visually, like, what we're going to be looking at for a lot of the film... Uh, what the doors look like, how you open them, which things happen with them later on, where uh, they struggle to open it sometimes, it gets stuck on the guy's mm. uh, pants sleeve, um, there's the, the choking you mentioned, like, yeah. all the elements that we are seeing here are going to be used in that, throughout the film, the only differences we're really going to see is what traps we see, mm. and also what the edge looks like. And we learn that they move. Yes, there's sound throughout the film and mm. it all, you know, pays off, which is another thing. Um, learning new information as the film goes The numbers. On. The numbers, yes, that's that's one of the big things that wasn't established at first, um, what they mean or, like, mm. what they think they mean. Um, and then there's also, you know, a very huge part of this subgenre, um, the, the truth as it is. Like, what is the deal with this thing? And it's always a toss-up with these kind of stories of, like, are we going to learn everything or is it going to be, you know, you're only learning a bit and maybe, you know, there's still a mystery or are we going to learn nearly nothing? Mm-hmm. All three are perfectly valid. It's just all in the execution. Yeah. Um, this is one of those films where you learn very, very little. Basically nothing. Basically nothing. You it, A lot of theorizing. Yeah. You don't literally learn nothing. You do learn some bit of information, mm-hmm. um, but you don't know, you know, who the mastermind is, where the cube is, what the purpose is or anything like that. Yeah. And the most important thing is, the most important thing is with that is the film does not withhold that simply because it would be spooky to withhold that. They withhold that because it ties in with one of the characters' philosophies and viewpoints about the world. Yeah, and we see that be challenged, and 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 also not only challenged, but we see it be reaffirmed as well during points of the movie. That's important because. I think you're right. With these things, they give you these three options of how you can do it. And a lot of those ones that don't give you anything, they rest on their laurels by being like, we're being artistic, not showing you or not telling you the full thing, or it's spookier if we don't give you a fuller picture. Here, they have a very deliberate reason as creators not to give you a fuller picture. I was reading one of the trivia points where apparently there was a shot of what the outside of the cube is, yeah, or blah, 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 and footage. they was like, nope, first thing cut, because we don't need I think, that. I think they said they straight up destroyed it, so that yeah. it would never be seen. Yeah. First thing out of the film, because it's it doesn't need to be there. That's irrelevant. The, the thesis that one of our characters has, Worth, is about, well, worth in a lot of ways, where it is... We can go on as we go through, but the fact that they tell us that basically it's here because it's pointless and life is pointless and trying to do any of this is a complete waste of time is a very fascinating viewpoint to throw into your survival horror film because a lot of these survival horror films have a very um, 
when there's these mastermindy things, like I bring up Saw, for instance, there's a morality thing happening. Like, these people have been put in here because they've committed a sin in their past, or they have a specific thing, or blah, blah, blah. Here, it is very random. There is a somewhat code to it. Like, this person's really good at maths, this person's a doctor, but at the same time, you start to understand, like, well, why is Quentin here? What does he what does he bring to the table with this group? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, yeah. you know, yeah, it kind of b- b- blurs the lines of that well, because yeah. it's not the point. Yeah, that's the that's the next thing I was gonna bring up about this whole thing. Uh in the stories where you don't learn uh, you know, what the truth is to either some extent or no extent at all. Um, it's really interesting to have a scene where the characters are, like, philosophizing and thinking about, like, okay, what could the truth be? And a lot of the options they brought up here, um, you know, often are, you know, answers to the ones where you do find out the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, they brought it up, like, oh, maybe it's some rich person's sick, fa- uh, you know, entertainment. That's a valid one. Government. Government. It could aliens. be like a government conspiracy. It could be aliens. It could be... Uh, you know, an experiment, like, maybe that has, like, good intentions, but Mm. is, you know, the means are just absolutely abhorrent. Um, A lot of things like that. And it's interesting to hear all these characters talking about it, and it did kind of give me the sense of, like, oh, we're not, we're never going to find out, but it's, like, teasing, you know, how big the answer possibly could be, Mm -hmm. which is a really interesting way of doing it. I like that one of our characters is a conspiracy theorist nut, and... At first, you go, oh, okay, well, this will probably be tied in for why they're in here or whatever. But when you think of it from a writing narrative level, she gets to serve as the audience thinking, well, what's the twist? What's going to be the thing out of our options? And so you have her literally sitting there saying, is it aliens? Is it government? (laughs) Is it this? Is it that? Is it this? Only to not get those confirmed. To to refer back to our spin-off podcast chats, um, when we were on that, um, one of the recommendations I made at the end was the one that I consider like my favourite of the whole genre, the manga um, Imawa no Kuni no Arisu, or Alice in Borderland. Which is uh, now a TV show. Yeah, I believe the first half or first third has been adapted on mm. Netflix. Maybe there'll be a sequel. Um I obviously I'm not going to spoil any of that but it does a thing similar to that kind of thinking about it thing later on which when it ties into how it actually ends like I thought oh that's that was really brilliant it was one of my favorite parts of the whole mm. story it's, mm. yeah and and that was one where you actually kind of do find out most of the things but still they use this that kind of convention of like, oh, you're not going to find out. It's a really interesting mix. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to do this kind of story, and the way that this film chose it nailed very well. One of the twists in this that I really enjoyed, because I did forget about it, was you, you, you have a good chunk of the film where you go, okay, we've got all of our main characters now, and then a new one falls from the rooftop <laughs> yes. into the movie, <laughs> And he is, if I have to gather, is a contentious point for people because his character is mentally handicapped and the way the actor plays him is a very specific choice to do it. And I can see it being a turnoff for many people for a variety of reasons, whether you think it's uh, ableist or insensitive or if it is just too annoying. For me as well, I think my complaint with it, and again, this ties in, and my complaint is 
because this is a trope and these are this movie's playing with tropes don't get me wrong when i say this i know the movie's playing with archetypes and tropes but the guy who's so mentally handicapped that he's actually the one that can save the day because he's a secret genius who can see things that others can't. I was wondering if that was where it was going, but it took quite a while before it did. It really did take quite a while before it did, and I I appreciated that they withheld that for good time, but uh, I'm not a fan of that trope. I'm not a fan of the Rain Man effect, I guess. I just am not into it. Even if it's done to a less aggressive degree than this, such as, say, the Sherlock TV series where they're very clearly coding that character as autistic, but he's a super genius. And I find that just... That's just not one of my favorite methods of telling stories for, and for anyone, characters. Yeah, for anyone listening to this that's a bit confused, basically, you know how I mentioned earlier that there's a lot of mats in the film? There comes a point where they find out that the mats needed to, like... Effortless, effortlessly find out which room to go into requires basically a supercomputer level mm-hmm. uh, intelligence, and this guy happens to, you know, have that specific intelligence. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, who was your favorite character? Who did you gravitate towards? Oh, who was my favorite character? Um, yeah, I really liked Quentin. <laughs> really, I did. He yeah. was a Nazi, according to one of the characters. <laughs> well, <laughs> several characters made Nazi references to him. Yeah, that was one of those head scratching moments because I understood why, but at the same time, I didn't feel like it was earned enough. Yeah, I, don't I mean, know. he was he... doing like a might versus right kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I guess. I guess it's just the way the actor. The style of aggression he played with it was not the type where I would call him a Nazi. Like they, it were... almost feels like a modern use of like oh, yeah. you fucking Nazi kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, he was very good. I I thought he, he he had to carry the movie on his shoulders for a lot of it because he's the guy literally pushing us into the next story. Well, yeah, go, I mean, going back to what I was saying before, like the the very. You know, the broad characters, as you said, the non-natural dialogue, like I said, you know, his delivery was very much, you know, keeping everyone on track. Like, we have to be doing this. I'm a cop. I have this reason. I have basically a uh, relationship with every character or or a dynamic with every character in the film. Mm -hmm. Um, He's the one that we're basically following. And yes, he does end up being the antagonist. Um, but I was so kind of attached to this character for a lot of it that even when he did turn into the antagonist, I was still sort of kind of on his mm-hmm. side until it got a bit too far. Um, I, I was getting the sense of like, oh, you know, this, this situation has driven him crazy. But mm-hmm. I guess the film was going for a bit more of a, oh, no, he was abusive and like this is his real self coming out. Mm-hmm. So it took me a little while to actually get on that side of like, oh, no, this guy is the real danger. <laughs> If I do have a complaint with this as well, and this does spawn from Quentin, uh, this is a movie where no one talks like normal people would talk. You have to suspend your disbelief. It's yeah, it's a horror thing, yeah. Yes, yes, it's a horror thing, but it was yes, it's but it's not just a horror thing. It's just a story. It's a script thing where yeah, we have to uh, just skip past the point where people would naturally say what their first names are that drove me crazy it's like there's this moment where it's like my name's helen it's like oh my name's blah it's like why would you never say that to begin with 
I don't know why. Like it was just one of those things where I didn't believe that. Right. Where they spend most of the time, maybe even day or two, not telling each other their first names for what reason? Like after you've survived like fourteen death traps, I think you can break that barrier down. Like it's just one of those things where. You need them to be paranoid and aggressive or non-responsive, if you're worth, say, because he's angsty. And it is, it's a movie thing. And you have to have that for a movie. But I do get fed up with that because it is one of those where I go, if this was really me in this room, because that's a part of what you do with these. If it was me or if I was in a similar situation... You wouldn't go by Slowinski. <laughs> I wouldn't go, oh, I'm Slowinski, and not say really anything about myself. I don't know. Or try to find out. It's just one of these things where it's like, in these films, you have to have your characters communicate to each other, but only to a certain degree. Because if they did, they would become more attached to one another. And the films like this aren't always interested in that. And once they are, it's when one of the characters is about to die. Did you notice that? That's also another horror movie thing of when the characters do start to bond with each other, like we learn Helen's first name, oh, that's when she's going to die. Like, that's just before she's going to die. Same with, with uh, I'm just going to call her Dax. I know that she has another name in this, but I'm just going to call Dax Dax. Oh, Levin. Levin. You get that emotional tender between thing between her and Worth. Now we're no longer having to sweat and panic and run and do all of the figuring out of the puzzles, and that's when she dies. Yeah, it's the- one of those things where it's like you can't have them connect or communicate effectively because they would bond more, and you need to save that right before you gut punch the audience. Yeah, for the big tragic moment. Yeah, when you learn their backstory or they redeem themselves or they get humanized a bit more mm. in some way. Yeah, it usually is like a death flag. Isn't or they bond it? to another person. Mm. You have to kill that so that that person left can really mourn them. Mm. Yeah. Um, I guess I somewhat noticed it. Like, when they did say their first names, I just took it as like, a, oh, okay, this is like a bonding moment. They're a bit more humanized now. Um, thinking about the thing of, like, not showing their f- not having their first names be known for a while... I think that actually is like a recurring thing in these kind of stories, but usually it's brought up for a reason. Like, oh, we need to keep our identities a secret. We don't know which one of us could be the mastermind and like, Mm -hmm. you know, use this information against us or, you know, maybe it will reveal something. Um, But this film didn't really go for that. It just had, they had their like jumpsuits that had, Mm -hmm. you know, their last names on it. Wait, is Quinton his first name? No, it's his last name. Oh, it's his last name. Okay. I don't think we ever learn his first name. No, that's fair enough. I think we only learn f- the first names of Worth and uh, and uh, Helen, because he, he he's the one that gets told Helen's last name, uh, first name. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, of course you're Helen. I'm. I can't remember what his first. I think name it was Dave. Was. Yeah, I'm Dave. I think they're the only two that really tell each other their first names. I don't think we ever learn anyone else's. No, that's fair enough. It's just Quentin. It's one of those last name first names. Oh, except for Quentin knew who the escape artist guy was. I think he knew his name. I think we may have got Ren's Uh, first name. No, I think he had a title. Yeah, he was the escape artist, blah, blah, blah. He was like the the Ren or something. The Ren, yeah, the great, the Ren, and all of that. But uh, uh, were you waiting at all for them to find the remains of the guy from the cold open? I was, actually. There was a moment where I was like, are we ever going to find the remains of the guy from the cold open of this film? Um, Part of me maybe thought about it at some point, but I wasn't 
keeping it in my head throughout. I I mean, I just kind of took it like, oh, maybe that happened a long time ago, so they won't find it or yeah. Something like o- that. Overall, I did enjoy this. It has its flaws, but they are flaws that are just a part of the beast of this type of film, and that is not to uh, negate the type of film this is. There are just a lot of trappings that these fall into. For instance, Dax or Levin. She's a lot dumber in the first act than she really is in the rest of the film. There's that moment where it's like, well, what's your background? What do you do? And she's like, I'm nothing. I just do nothing. And then she's just like, well, actually, I'm a super genius mathematician who's a student doing this. Like, oh, come on. Yeah, I, I noticed that. At first, oh, shit. At first, she seemed like, oh, she's the helpless one who's just completely normal and, you know, nothing Yeah, she's just do. like a, a teenage but, girl, perhaps, or a young woman who lives with her parents, and that's all she then is. She, and then, like, then maybe, she's the maybe, smart one. <laughs> it's like, oh, maybe her parents are someone important. No, it's actually like, oh, actually, guys, I'm a super genius mathematician. Fuck you. Yeah, forget the doctor. It's me that's the smart one. <laughs> Fuck you. Like, that was such an annoying... Like, and it made no sense for the rest of the movie with how she was portrayed. She was portrayed as it's pretty gonna- headstrong, smart. Em- and that's another thing that really grilled me as well. Is she an empathetic character or not? Because they keep flipping with her, where she's extremely empathetic, extremely nice. But then there's times where... And I get it. The characters are tired and crabby, but there are times where she is so clearly ableist or, like, really against having this mentally unwell man with them, where it's almost like she and Quentin are in the same camp with this a lot. And then, within the same scene, it'll flip back to her being pro, and I'm like, which is it, guys? You gotta you gotta give me one or the other So Cer- Certainly with the helpless act at the beginning. Like, I know that if I w- rewatch this film, I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, she was like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it does flip, yeah, definitely. And I can understand the characters fun. change, especially when when the one of them gets killed. She, Dax, she, she, I really love that shot where we're in the corner of the cube. The woman's just been dropped by Quentin. She clearly knows that she's just been dropped by Quentin. Ezra know, Dax knows. She walks over into the corner where the camera is, and she just squats down and has her hands against her temples. We have this really close shot, and we see Quentin behind, just slowly looming over her shoulder, walking over towards her to try and comfort her. Really great. And you can tell that's the moment where that character, whatever... Uh, uh, whatever silliness that she had of being the nothing, I'm just a girl who lives with her parents, I'm nothing special, I can treat people like shit because I don't really care, fades away, that's a turning point. But I'm just saying some of that before stuff was too heavy-handed to the point in which it, when it does flip, it feels a little bit inconsistent. Like I'm not saying we can't have those things, but just a little less from her. Because the others, they all lined up well enough the conspiracy theorist doctor who's like, well, it makes me think, why didn't they get one of the other 10 million doctors? Or you have the mentally unwell character who's like that throughout the movie, but they're saying little things that are helpful and the characters aren't paying attention to them until right when it's important. And you have an apathetic guy, a seemingly apathetic, nonchalant guy, but really he's got the tragedy that he's a part of the system that's put them in this cube and so on and so forth. And Quentin, he's the most upfront about like everything he's about and that bites him in the ass because his actions also are upfront about who he is, not just his words. Now that you've talked a bit about um, the Dax 11 character, as mm-hmm. she's called, um, 
I, I didn't really put it together when I was watching the film, but talking about it now, she does hit, like, the main character trope mm-hmm. of, like, oh, she's the very normal person who in the everyday life you would think, like, oh, you know, the average person, you know, wouldn't amount to, well, not wouldn't amount to much, but wouldn't be very useful in, you know, a tense situation. But then when thrust into the, the dangerous situation, you know, she awakens a sort of ability that, like, is one of the most useful things. It's when we were doing Drive, I was talking about how Nathan Fillion was really missing that part of While what the character... The, the mum character had that more in Drive. A little the, bit, the, the, yeah. You brought up in our spin-off series, Chats, a television podcast. Listen to it right now, folks. Uh, Bartek and I are in a great episode about Drive. Uh, in our spin-off television series. Yes, not the movie. Spin-off, um, <laughs> not the movie. Uh, where you brought up Liar Game, yes, in which the main character is this normal person. Yeah, they would never get into this. It's a woman, right? Yeah, very nervous woman, very kind. Is not the type of person that would and ever want to save someone. That's Levin could easily be that type of character. Yeah, you know, irregardless of the age differences, whatever those characters ha- have. In fact, how old is that character in Li- Liar Game? Uh, I'd say early twenties. So same age as this character. This character's like probably twenty years old. Probably thereabouts, maybe tiny bit younger. And um yeah, she does really take the main character mantle. That's something I really appreciate too. You have three characters out of our lot of characters that really carry the torch of I'm the main character now. And the film hands it off very easily and very succinctly. And I I thought that was really well done to give it some praise yet again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another thing that I thought was bullshit, I'm so sorry, Cube, it wasn't a twist to me. I don't know if it was a twist for you, but if I was in the Cube, again, this is me, if I was in the Cube... I would immediately start wondering if the cube's moving, especially when it starts vibrating and making noises around me. <laughs> I was what that was a reveal where I go, of course, guys. Why wouldn't it have been moving? That's just one of those reveals. Did you think that was that a surprise for you? Um, trust that word? I can't remember if I was thinking it, but when it was said, I was like, Yeah, that makes sense. They were like, oh, God, no. See, Ryan, that would be your purpose. You wouldn't be helpful in the mats, but you'd be helpful in that common sense. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the guy who knows how scripts work. <laughs> You're like, oh, I, I can do basic addition. Can that help? <laughs> no? Okay. Guys, guys, guys. Don't throw your boots away like idiots. In <laughs> fact, can we keep track of how many boots are used and what points? Uh, that would be great. And, of course, you would be keeping track of how many gumdrop bags oh, were those yeah, to yeah, Kazan. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, I'd be really mad that Quentin not only lost one of us, but also all of our clothes <laughs> along with them. Yeah, I mean, you could have at least be kept the, only, the clothes. You'd be the only one that talks about it because no one else really... No one ever mentions it. Yeah. No one ever mentions it. It's no so one... fucking cold because you dropped the clothes and everyone's yeah. like, just chill, man. It's not that bad. <laughs> just chill. Just chill. Uh, anything else you want to discuss about Cube in particular? Any moments, any scenes, any character turns, reveals? Um... I, I guess we've kind of already brought it up with the whole, like, mathematical angle, but the fact that the characters were uncovering, you know, a sort of method to the madness with the whole, mm. like, oh, it's prime numbers, and it actually got them a lot of the way through, mm. but then, like, you, you know, this kind of tragic twist of, like, ooh, no, it, it's not that. Somehow we just coincidentally were getting through with this. Now it's something else. Like, that's just a big moment of dread of, like, well, what do we do now? It's, mm. And a good escalating of the stakes during a 
a sequence of uh, comfort, basically. Yeah. Just yeah. Again, to talk about how much I really enjoyed this, I was walking into this thinking, "Oh, this is going to be you know guilty pleasure. I love this genre. Campy, so it, campy. It's going to be something that's not going to be all that great, but I'm going to really like it." But no, this seriously. And like I said last well week, it, it, it's a well-made little movie, influential. If you're into this type of stuff and you haven't seen Cube. It's really surprising, as it is when you told me, you're like, oh, Cube, this unknown little movie. I'm like, Bartek, it, it, it's, it's Cube. <laughs> I guess one of the big things that shocked me when you told me, like, oh, this is something that everyone always goes back towards when they compare things, is I've, I've always only heard people compare those types of stories to Saw, which I also mm-hmm. haven't seen, but yeah. never Cube. It's always just Saw. No, no, and this is, again, before Saw. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's, that's, again, another thing that, like, kind of weirds and me out. I've only seen one or two Saw movies. I like this better, uh, not a shocker. Um, this is, yeah, like I said, there is no big moral bad guy who's voicing over the intercom with a spooky little doll telling you that they have some ethical code they follow as a serial killer and that's why they're doing this to these people. It's not like we get flashbacks to each one of the characters explaining who they are and why they're here. It is just they're here and let's see them be here and slowly understand maybe why they are in here. Maybe. And at the end, you still don't really have a... Like, you can't properly say 100%, oh, this is why Quentin's here, this is why Levin's here, this is why Worth's here, with 100% conviction. You can go, oh, yes, I can understand. She's good at math, this guy's good at prime numbers, and this guy's... Again, I keep going, why is Quentin here? Like, he offers nothing... They say it too, you offer nothing other than, like, misery. You can understand, it's like, oh, you got the escape artist guy who knows engineering, you got... The guy who built the thing, you've got the woman who knows maths, you've got the other guy who also knows a higher form of maths, you've got a doctor there who can help aid people, and so on and so forth. And then it's like, and then we've got the strong brute cop guys. Like, what are you here for? Other than to fool the audience into thinking that he's going to be the rational one who'll lead us through the mystery. Yeah, because he's got the, you know, what are you fighting for thing. Like, you got a wife, a girlfriend, I've got three kids. Yeah, yeah. Would you would you die for me? Uh- <laughs> there is... There is one point in this film where someone mentions, I'm just a guy. (laughs) I think it was worth. Yeah, I'm just a guy. (laughs) And I laughed and I laughed. One of the things that I want to end this conversation on is this is a horror movie. This is a film that has a somewhat dark end. Most of our characters, let's just say effectively all the characters that we've followed and cared about intensely die one of them survives but he was a character that entered the film part way through when we never really got to care about him as much but mm-hmm. him surviving makes sense you go oh yes how did you feel about that decision in which the good people do die and the bad guy also dies how how did you feel because you do have that moment where it's like levin just gets stabbed through and lifted up in the end thrown like a rag doll and then you go oh no and Worth probably didn't die on camera, but he's probably about to. Yeah, he's been stabbed yeah. real deep, and he's and he wanted to die in there. Lay down and die, as Quentin said, and then he does next to somebody he cared about. So by the end, he, he learned to care about someone. So Well, I'll say that I think more people end up surviving than I was expecting, so that was one thing. Mm. Um, so you were expecting no one to survive? I guess as a collateral result of what I was actually expecting, what I was actually expecting was uh, 
them basically never really getting all that close to escaping. So, mm. you know, as a result of that, you know, they'll still be trapped. The fact that they actually found an exit and we did see, you know, light mm. uh, was a bit more than I was expecting. But then once it did happen, it was like, oh, Kazan's the only one that survived. You know, he was very helpful in the end. And he a lot of the characters that were surviving more towards the end, other than Quinton, of course, you know, were very protective of him. So there was, you know, some sort of, I guess, sentimental touch mm. to the fact that he survived. Um, yeah, I, I was fine with it. I Obviously, I was rooting for the other two survivors, Levin and, and Worth. But, you know, th- th- these kind of stories, you know, you sometimes mm. have tragic twists at the end, but usually there would be, like, one element of light. If it's all just completely dark, pointless, nothing, you know, then it's not quite as interesting. It depends how it's spun. Uh, Yeah, I felt the same. I was a little... I remember that they didn't make it, and I remembered, oh, no, there goes Ezri Dax. As soon as you... In the background, you can hear one of the doors opening, which I think is a neat little piece of sound design, but you think, oh, maybe that's just... uh, The cube moving? The cube moving, or Kazan fucking around with something, but nope. It's Quentin. He's back, baby. Um. Uh. Yeah. I. I don't mind it. I think it's a neat ending. Uh, as I said, it ends perfectly. Where you go, oh, that's the ending. Good. It walks off into the white light, and still not telling you exactly where what happens. You can assume that it's all right, but still, you can angle that there's this element of death to it because you're walking to a beam of white light, uh, almost angelic. And Quentin dies like a champ. That was awesome. I loved how he died. He got fucked up real good. He got squished and separated. It was nice and great. It was nice. It was uh, like cut and squished at the same time, kind yeah, of. Thing. Yeah, how funny. <laughs> how funny for him. Yeah, I was. Fi- I was. I was fine. There. I think we've already learned on the podcast that I have a sort of fondness for certain types of miserable films. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's like why we, we do Spooky Month. That's Well, we didn't do The Hunt in Spooky Month and stuff like that. Well, that's not a spooky movie. That's just a depressing <laughs> film. Uh, so that is all I've got to say on Cube. Well-made little movie, very influential, still holds up relatively well. Uh, there was no absurd 90s music or camera angles. Uh, this isn't a film that would catch on as much today, I don't think, if this was released today. I don't know if it would be as hard-hitting as it is. I feel like I feel like it's the exact same thing I said last episode with The Beast. Like, I feel like if this was made in the modern day, it just wouldn't be the same. I remember in that episode, I also talked about how the characters in the film mm. were, you know, kind of archetypal, or as you said in this episode, broad. I feel like if it was a more modern film, they'd be a bit more, I don't know, grim, darky, maybe not as charismatic, not mm. as simple. You know, and like- again, I think there would be a, a higher level of moralizing on the characters. Uh, that may be the sorification of the genre, because there was that movie Escape Room that came out a few years ago, very much like Cube, but they had a lot of moralizing of like, oh, this guy's a racist and this chick's a banker and you know so on and so forth uh which was just eye rolling uh but if the okay another thing i want to mention is the the director writer he's gone on to do some interesting projects over the years Mm -hmm. he did this rather bizarre i don't even know if i could say it's a good movie lots of people think it is but a lot of people didn't it's very bizarre called splice 
in which this husband-wife team make this genetically weird daughter creature, and it's it's very interesting, to say the least. And looking over his catalogue of work, he's done a lot of films like... He's never worked on any, any other Cube movie, but, uh, yeah, the guy who plays Worth... Uh, no, no, the guy who plays Kazan, sorry, went on to write a film with this director as well. The next one they did, I can't remember the name of it, but it seems like a, a pretty beloved little cult indie Canadian thing. But yeah, he's gone on to just do a couple of these movies where you go, oh yeah, I can see why you would do this. There's this angle of weirdness to it. And Cube does have that. It's got, I mean, the premise is just a little bit weird. And so that is what I've got. I recommend it. Uh, Sounds like you're a big recommender of this. Yeah, yeah. If, um, I, I I would give an enthusiastic recommendation for people. This is a unique type of thing. And, you know, to be you from last week, if you're the type of person who's into this kind of thing and you haven't seen this, I'm surprised. Go watch it. It's it's, it's really good. good. Uh, my recommendation for next episode is the first entry of our spooky month officially. This is, I know, I know, but like oh, yeah, proper yeah, yeah. in October. Uh, I'm choosing something that's been on my watch list for a while. And I'm keen for a multitude of reasons. It has a lot of elements of things we've done on the pod and things that we both like. But I don't know if I'll love this film or not. I'm not too sure. It's called Stoker. It's got Nicole Kidman in it. We're both Nicole Kidman fans. We've enjoyed her work. It's directed. The first time this director has done, and only time this director has done an English language film by the director of The Handmaiden. Okay. Written by Wentworth... Miller, who is the lead actor in your favorite television series, yeah, Prison Break. Okay. Wait, it, what did he do? He wrote it? He wrote it. Okay. He wrote this film, and uh, it is a modern day, but also throwback gothic horror type deal. I don't know too much else other than it's a family thriller, psychological, dramery thing yeah, well, with the- Nicole Kidman and uh, I forget that actress's name, but the actress who played uh, Alice in Alice in Wonderland and Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. She's got like a Polish last name. It's like Mia Walczulich. I can't remember what it is, but she's an Australian. Uh, uh, so I'm keen to give... It's been on my watch list for a while. I heard good things about it. It, it. it seems like a divisive film, but you can see all of these elements are things I'm like, oh, that sounds fascinating. We like all of these things, or like a lot of these elements. Mm. Uh, I'm just keen to see this director uh, who did The Handmaiden and Old Boy and all that being in, doing a Hollywood English language okay. film. I've, I mean, I've heard of Old Boy as well. That's a big film. So yeah. it's that guy. So it's a South Korean director mm-hmm. making a... Okay. Written, a by, and written by your boy, Wentworth. Wentworth Miller, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mr. Scowley himself. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he's got Nicole Kidman. Is who... it a, do you know if it's a vampire thing? Because Stoker? It's, Dr- it's called Stoker? Stoker. I don't know. Don't know. Okay. I only know it's one of those mother-daughter... In a house, Nicole Kidman's wearing a nice, like a nice restrictive dress type drama. Like people often bring up Nicole Kidman's uh, period piece and period piece horror films. Again, I think this is a modern day film, but it's one of those where it's so hearkening to gothic era horror where it blurs the line of like it is modern day, but it's so clearly drawing upon things from the past. So, 
Uh, yeah, Stoker. Uh, we'll give that a watch next time on Pictures Pow Wow. Make sure to give it a watch yourself. Get into the spooky feel. And again, I don't think this is the most like spookalicious thing, but it has a lot of those elements. That I'm just like, ah, you know, I want to dip my toes in. And I am, as as you know, Bartek. I, I like my my gothic-y, horror-y type, more atmospheric-y things, even though I do love recommending stuff like Reanimator. Um, <laughs> I like doing this as well. Uh, so, yeah, that is it. You can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter under Spit and Polish Presents. We post on there. We interact on there. And, uh, Bartek, where can people email us if they want to contact us and give us film recommendations? Okay, well, um, if you've heard of our chats email, ignore that one. Email us at our main one, which is spitandpolished at gmail.com. That Polish is past tense. Yes, it does. All of this is in the description of the episode below, and you can rate and review us on whatever podcast hosting site allows you to do so. We would like it very, very much. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's yeah. that's it. So hold on, is 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 Stoker elevated horror? I think this is right before that became like a big buzz thing. Mm-hmm. I think this is like three or four years before. So. We'll have to find out, Bartek, and stroke our chin at the metal falls of it all. Spooky voice there, Ryan. Oh. Count Bartek is really shocked. All right, I can't do the voice because I can only do it one sentence. Yep. I, I wasted on a greeting. You, you blew your load in the very first moment of the episode. Ah, blew my load. You mean come? <laughs>